0: Not a Shakespeare expert, so like Yeah, but you live with a Shakespeare expert. But I live expert. with a Shakespeare expert, so you know. <laughs> Shout um, <out> to Becky. <laughs> She's she's in the next room, so if she hears me say something really stupid, she'll run in and be like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Get that, Becky? <laughs> Hello and welcome to True's Universally Acknowledged a, a, a <laughs> recap podcast for USA's reality show, The Courtship, where we also talk about Regency history and romance narratives and anything kind of in between. I'm Molly Curran. I'm Emma Soberano. And we are actually recording in person today. We are together in the same room. Very exciting. It's very exciting. And it's actually like a beautiful day outside. So even
1: though on this week's episode of the courtship, they were forced inside due to cloudy weather conditions, we are enjoying some sunshine yeah. in Michigan. It's really, I'm so excited. It's actually summer slash spring, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. 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 <is> <laughs> It'll probably snow again in two weeks.
0: This week, to begin with, we're going to start by talking about something that really was just a minor plot element in this episode, but one that I think is really interesting and that it seems to play a big role in kind
1: of our popular imagination in terms of romance and so we're going to be discussing it in part from the historical perspective but largely also from
0: the historical romance perspective right so we're going to be talking about masquerades Masquerades. (laughs) and sort of masking in general a little bit Mm -hmm. um which is a unsurprisingly i would i think when you think about it like very common trope throughout really just the history of literature because it's the mistaken identity trope most of the time.
1: Yeah, which I think is, as Molly and I have talked about in the few minutes before we started recording, kind of funny that they have this mistaken identity trope when you did kind of know who people were at least especially if they're wearing like a half mask like we see in this week's episode what most people think masquerades look like Mm -hmm. when they think of masquerades you think of like the little eye mask or like just half mask that ends around your cheekbone and if the pandemic has shown us anything it's that you can still for the most part recognize people when you see half their face
0: (laughs) it's true though actually sometimes i i see people when i see their full face and it takes me a minute to place them when i have only ever seen their half face. Yeah it's
1: really (laughs) weird when the bottom half of someone's face like doesn't line up with what you thought their face was gonna be like you're kind of reconstructing what you think they look like in your head and then they take their mask off and you're like oh okay (laughs) that makes it sound really negative but it's more just like a you have to kind of readjust. yeah yeah who you thought this person was in your head
0: (laughs) so emma do you want to start us off by maybe just talking a little bit about the historical context of masquerades the show made it sound like this was just a super common kind of exciting party that people in the regency had but that doesn't seem to be uh wholly accurate i would say (laughs) This is not something that
1: I really knew a ton about, and I mean I'm still not an expert by any means, (laughs) but my understanding from the research that I've done is that masquerades were a lot more common in the 18th century. And this really kind of aligns with the ideas that we talked about previously of not only decadence but playing with social class and really having the opportunity for extravagance a lot of the time when people think about masquerades they're thinking about you know people just dressed up in like a really nice ball gown like we saw in this week's episode with the half mask, but that really wasn't the case. Masquerades were not just about concealing identity, but they were about social commentary and play and pleasure, and so you have people having this opportunity to dress up in a full costume. So one of the ones that was really popular was the domino costume, which is the black and white jester-ish costume.
0: Which would conceal most of your body, right? Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, and the masks that people wore were not only eye masks or half masks but often full face masks which were of caricatures and sometimes were racist caricatures. One What? (laughs) I'm shocked. (laughs) The 18th century? Racist? Oh my goodness. Yeah so there was this really big rise in interest in quote-unquote oriental culture ideas about the east very broadly construed so whether that was the middle east what we now understand as the middle east as well as china there were kind of more interactions or beginning to be more interactions at this time with china and with different parts of the world and people used that as this opportunity to really not just romanticize and orientalize but they have this idea of like what it is like to be from a different part of the world and that idea is very inaccurate (laughs) a lot of the time to say the least but really plays into these romantic ideas especially of masculinity and femininity
0: and of magic. So it was sort of Um, the geisha halloween costume of its time (laughs) yeah a lot of the time
1: and also the aladdin costume of its time as well so people having these ideas that the Middle East and China were kind of mystical places where magic still existed really in opposition to England and Europe as Mm. these increasingly quote unquote civilized and even increasingly secular places where we have reason and science and a kind of proper form of religion heavy heavy air quotes there (laughs) right and this goes also back to the idea of men and masculinity in europe and in england as better for women and more liberal than in the middle east and in china so in especially Islamic cultures, so we have this opportunity that arises with the masquerade to really play into these ideas of gender norms, Mm -hmm. where we have kind of the like mystical woman who is in distress from a harem or whatever, and we also have, on the other hand, people making social commentaries about England itself, As Mr. Edwards says this is an opportunity to shirk some of the class norms where you had an opportunity for people of various classes to interact, that makes it sound like people aren't able to recognize, you know, who is in their class. That's not really the case. What it really is, is yes, people are interacting across class boundaries, but there would be things like gentlemen dressed up as paupers but you know not actually you know really wearing clothes that someone of the lower classes would actually wear and vice versa too Mm -hmm. they would have this opportunity for kind of social satire and commentary on class inequality in england but people would still be able to tell like who is really one of their peers
0: and would maintain power dynamics Mm -hmm. uh, in that way so the idea of the mistaken identity do you think that's plausible or or no? I mean I think it's more plausible than it seems
1: from our idea of the masquerade today mm-hmm. where as mentioned you can like
0: see half of someone's face or they're even holding the mask. Like when we were talking earlier Becky brought up a Cinderella story the mm-hmm. Hillary Duff movie where Chad Michael Murray like doesn't recognize her even though she's looks exactly the same except she has like a thin piece of fabric across her eyes <laughs> like really that's it yeah i think that is what the conceit we're meant to buy into a lot of the time but given what you're talking about in terms of these like full costumes yes bodies hidden maybe not necessarily race hidden but playing at different races playing yes, at different um exactly I mean, maybe even gender, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure cross-dressing was... Cross-dressing at this
1: time, there were more opportunities for actual disguise than what we kind of see today. Right. I think we distinguish the costume party from the masquerade. Yeah. And I think the masquerade, as we understand it today, is more the conceit of that sort of possibility Mm -hmm. where... Everyone kind of knows that they're playing at
0: something, right? Right. It's a pretense of anonymity. Yeah. But it, everyone kind of knows it's just sort of a plausible deniability kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And
1: maybe that's part of what makes it even more kind of scandalous, right? Yeah. So, Molly, as you're saying, you know, we have this idea of what the masquerade is now. What do we have in romance novels that kind of makes use of that?
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting to think back, like, to, to early romance in the broad sense, to the use of the mistaken identity trope. And I think probably the the master of this trope, or the, the one people know very well, is Shakespeare, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting in Shakespeare, not a Shakespeare expert, so, okay. like... Yeah, but you live with a Shakespeare expert. But I live expert. with a Shakespeare expert, so, you know. Um, Becky. <laughs> she, she's in the next room, so if she hears me say something really stupid, she'll run in and be like, no! <laughs> um, Get that, Becky? <laughs> but, <laughs> but a lot of times people are able to obscure their identity or, like, take on someone else's identity very easily in Shakespeare by a mere sort of change of clothes. Viola can dress as her twin brother Sebastian and nobody questions it you have masters dressing as servants, servants dressing as masters Mm -hmm. and like clothes really make the man in many ways and yet in one of the few scenes where I feel like we get like a true masquerade type party mm-hmm. um, which is in Much Ado About Nothing, you have Benedict, who's sort of your protagonist, and Beatrice, who is the other protagonist. They they, they are in love but they're enemies. <laughs> um, <laughs> love, love. They're that. sort of exes who are constantly fighting. And he puts on a disguise and is wearing a mask. And I always think of the, the Kenneth Brana version of the, I don't know if you've seen that film, but it's I don't think I delightful. Have. And he puts on this like really ridiculous over the top Italian accent um, mm-hmm. and basically is trying to like get her to talk about him, Benedict and she knowing that it is actually Benedict because his costume is actually very bad <laughs> <like> there's <laughs> a recognition that actually it is actually harder than it seems to obscure identity. Mm-hmm. So she just kind of talks shit about him. <laughs> about him. I love that for her. Um, (laughs) Knowing that he will hear it and think that she was speaking sort of unguardedly Mm -hmm. as opposed to directly to him. That's great. So I think those sort of two sides of Shakespeare kind of capture what I see a lot of romance novels doing, which is Mm -hmm. playing with both mistaken identity and then also the inability to maintain a a mistaken identity Mm. or a secret identity. I will talk about a couple of books just for examples, but in the show notes, I'll give a longer list. I asked people on Twitter and some of my friends for some recommendations of romance novels that they like that have a masquerade element, and that could mean not necessarily a masquerade ball, but but some sort of masking element. So I'll I'll put those in the show notes, but just some that I think are kind of useful to think about and representative. We'll start with something people might actually be semi-familiar with, which is Bridgerton right and in the Bridgerton books Benedict who is the third brother second brother he's the the second second brother brother.
1: (laughs) third book but third book yeah he's the one who is the the artist in the show and who really I just I want them to give him a queer plot line because like the sexual tension with his other artist friend in the first season was so good it really was
0: okay anyway, (laughs) but i guess slight spoilers possibly for the premise of next season maybe but they really go so far off the books that who knows yeah i Um, really
1: hope not because like it was not my favorite of the books no i don't
0: think it's anyone's favorite of the books like a
1: little boring to be
0: honest so it's but it's a cinderella retelling basically where the book begins with benedict is at a masquerade he meets this woman she is masked. He is like instantly fascinated by her. I think they kiss. Can't really remember. But basically they have this connection. And then he never sees her again. Cut to a few years later, he meets this woman and she's like in a tough spot. And she's like really pretty and who could she be and he's like hey do you want to be my mistress and she's like no no not really (laughs) (laughs) and he gets her a job as like the maid in his mother's house but he's like really into her and and of course she is this woman from from before and he has not recognized her and a lot of the book and the conflict comes from her being like wow how can't he recognize me like what a dick (laughs) and then eventually when he does recognize her him being like Wow, I can't believe you didn't tell me. That was rude. (laughs) Betrayal of trust. And I feel like that's kind of a standard way that these things work in romance. Is there's... Somebody isn't recognizing somebody else when really they should. Mm -hmm. And the result is, I think, a sense of betrayal on both sides Mm -hmm. that they have to work through. Another example of this is Sophie Jordan has a book called A Good Debutant's Guide to Ruin. And this is really fun. In this one, a young woman has basically her... It's her stepbrother. Has recently moved home. They're very estranged. Like, they've never really interacted. Their parents married late. Like, you know. Um, And their parents are dead now. This
1: isn't, like, the clueless Paul Rudd situation. Yeah, it's not quite that.
0: He's... I think he, like, moves... Home. They're interacting more than they ever have before. They're both grown adults now. And he's sort of being a little bit controlling because he wants to get her married off, as one does. She doesn't really want to get married off, or at least she wants to experience some sense of adventure and life before then. So So she goes to this secret club that exists. And this is a feature in a lot of historical romances are these like, like how there are gentlemen's clubs, there are these sort of women's clubs or mixed gender clubs that are much more scandalous and have things like anonymous membership Mm -hmm. so she goes to this club which is basically a club for people to have casual sex and she's masked and who should be there (laughs) but her stepbrother (laughs) And they do hook up. Wait, does she recognize him? She recognizes him. Oh, okay. So there's also some consent stuff that is worth thinking through in some of these. But, but she does recognize him and they hook up. He does not recognize her. Basically, as the story continues on, he grows obsessed with this sort of masked woman who he meets every now and then at this club. He also is growing to have feelings for his mm. stepsister. Mm-hmm. I keep it sounds so creepy when i put it that way. It's really not, it that, bad. Like, that, so like not it that bad. Like that aspect is like not that bad. Okay. They're just like people in the same household. Okay. Um, <laughs>
1: sure Molly. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm <just teasing>.
0: uh, <laughs> and so you get this this is like an interesting dynamic that happens sometimes where it's A person has to be jealous of themselves right yeah that's like in there's a contemporary
1: spoiler alert olivia dade
0: yes yes actually that's a
1: really good yeah yeah because in that one there's an actor for a kind of game of thrones-esque tv show and this actor is also a fan and writes fanfic but secretly and nobody can know that it's him because he would get in all this trouble for like legal stuff and spoilers and I don't know. And he has kind of an online friendship slash maybe romance, like budding romance, with another fanfic writer who she goes viral for posting cosplay, but she's a plus-size cosplayer.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um,
1: and so she gets all this hate in the comments and in his role as an actor, he like steps up to publicly defend her and ask her on a date in person, like, when they meet in person, they're having this romance, but then she also is having this romance Mm -hmm. with his, like, online persona. And Um, he knows. And he he knows that he's
0: both people. She does not know. Exactly. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Like, the internet is the modern-day masquerade. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) So the other type of, sort of the the other side of the masquerade trope, which I think is sort of the plausible deniability side of you... (laughs) you actually do know who this person is. Okay. And yeah. in some way you are either just pretending you don't or you're lying to yourself that you mm. don't. Another great example that I love is from Sarah McLean's Daring and the Duke, which is the third in her Bare Knuckle Bastard series, which I think I've recommended before or yeah. at least I've mentioned before. And in that book, you have this amazing masquerade scene where a woman who basically has been betrayed by her childhood love wants to see him again Mm. and he's sort of trying to win her back but she doesn't trust him at all like she literally thinks he tried to kill her oh delightful (laughs) so oh i haven't gotten
1: to that book yet in that series but i know which characters we're talking about (laughs) uh well so there's this
0: amazing scene where she wants to see him and she goes to the masquerade she's she is in full disguise at this point. She's wearing a wig. Like, she feels like she is unrecognizable. And she talks to him, and he gives no sign of recognizing her. And they end up sort of having this, like, passionate cunnilingus session out on a, uh, what is that called? A balcony? <laughs> no. Um, in a gazebo? Oh, gazebo. I think in a gazebo. Maybe on a balcony. It could have been, but I think Someone it was in a... Somewhere outside In my brain, it was in a gazebo. Okay. And... She's like, this is amazing. I get to have this sort of last experience with him where I can get him out of my system and he like doesn't even have to know. Like I'm not actually giving him a chance. And he, of course, you go to his perspective and he's like, Yep, and he knew from the moment she walked in that it was her all oh along, God, and... That's embarrassing. <laughs> like, and, like, how could he ever think that she was anybody else? My
1: secondhand embarrassment is, like, ooh. Uh,
0: yeah, so, again, another situation where I think there's, like, this sort of sense of she can pretend that he doesn't know, or maybe mm-hmm. believe that he doesn't know who she is, but, yeah. like, again, I, I think that she knows deep down mm-hmm. that he knows who she is.
1: So what strikes me here is that whereas in the 18th century, we have that masquerades and this idea of pretending to be someone different provides the opportunity for kind of like political discourse and social and class play. Mm -hmm. In romance novels, it seems to be Used as kind of an opportunity for more like psychological exploration in some mm. ways, mm-hmm. um, where people can like use it as an excuse to allow themselves to explore their their desires or sometimes to explore those without fully recognizing, even to themselves, that that's what they're doing. Yes. Um, And that then, obviously, when the masquerade ends, they have to kind of deal with the consequences of that, and so it's not just a plot device that enables the action, so Mm -hmm. to speak, but that it also enables the, the inner journey. Yeah
0: of the character. Yeah, there are always consequences to, yeah. the, to the masquerade. There's this sense that, oh, it's just this space of play and adventure, but mm-hmm. there always have to be psychological consequences, emotional consequences. Yeah, I think that's a really astute sum up.
1: Well, that just makes me want to read more romance novels with masquerades, because it just seems like so much fun in a way that I kind of wish that they had played more into or explored in this episode, yes. especially when we had the daily tea say that there would be an unmasking yes and only miss remy was like oh maybe it'll be like a psychological unmasking like someone will reveal her true self that didn't quite happen but it was still fun to see all the costumes yes and and all the pretty dresses
0: beautiful and it was a missed opportunity simultaneously so how about we take a break and then when we come back we will recap the seventh episode of The Courtship. Seven.
1: Wow, they have eight suitors now, so I'm wondering like where is this going? <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm enjoying it nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Truths Universally Acknowledged a podcast where two grad students recap USA's The Courtship. (laughs) There's just going to be a long pause before I'm like, wait, which network is it on now? I mean, let's be real. I watch it on Peacock. Do you watch it on Peacock? Yeah, I watch it on Peacock. So really, it's Peacock's (laughs) The Courtship. Exactly. And we do see a fair bit of peacocking in this episode. (laughs) 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 Sorry, please forgive me. Alright, so as Mr. Edwards says, Captain Kim's exit is still all anyone is talking about. So we open on the castle and go directly into discussions of last night's farewell ball.
0: We first see Nicole with her sister, Mrs. Baker, and Miss Cleary, and she is kind of giving them the rundown of what's happened. Miss Cleary already knows a little bit, we are aware. Because Miss Baker was
1: relegated to the not singles table, she has not been clued in on yeah.
0: all of the the drama. So basically, Nicole sort of explains what happened with Mr. Chapman and what assumptions Captain Kim made. And the the thing that stuck out to me about this part of the conversation was that she wasn't sure if any of the other guys knew yes. or how they felt about it. Like, somebody asked, did any of the other guys seem off? So I think Miss Baker asks something about that, and Nicole says that she can't tell how the
1: other men feel, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be part of what's kind of causing her some stress or some anxiety there. We do get in-the-moment where she says that she's falling for Lincoln and that she wants to be able to get to that point with the other men, which I think is kind of weird because, like... At this point, I would be like, oh good, I have feelings for like one person. I'm not gonna have this stress at the end of being like, which of these two two or three people do I like the most? Like we see has become a kind of recurring theme on The mm-hmm. Bachelor. I don't know, I would just be really happy if there was like one person there who I was into.
0: <laughs> I feel like she has this thing going on where she's like, I really want to give every guy like his best shot like, like yeah, the fairest chance, chance. <laughs> and I'm just like it's it's okay to at this
1: point yeah I we, mean like that's not how dating yeah. works even like you meet a lot of people and they most of them don't work yeah. out and that's totally fine and that's good because if there are too many people like I don't know there's there are all those studies about like jams and stores and like having choice things oh, like oh oh yeah like decision paralysis <laughs> yeah exactly but what the other thing that stood out to me about this conversation is that after she reveals that she had this intimate moment with mr chapman miss baker is like so supportive and mm-hmm. we've talked about this before but i really appreciate how supportive miss baker is of her sister and she just says she supports her doing what she needs and that it seems like she's handling everything really well so far. Yes. And I just I
0: really I appreciated that little like sisterly support. Having her family and friends I just think it makes all the difference. It really does in this show.
1: I don't know there's an extent to which I'm like not as invested in her parents being there but her sister and her friend being there like that really is so great in my opinion.
0: So We then move to another group of people gossiping. The suitors are all outside. Some of them are playing a game of poker and some of them are just chatting. Mr. Cones gives us a A helpful metaphor. metaphor saying, love is a gamble. Sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. The highs, you feel so good when you're ahead and you're winning. And then the lows hurt like hell.
1: And then the other men start to chime in a little bit and say that, like, you can't let the competition know your feelings and you don't know who's bluffing, which felt very dramatic to me (laughs) like okay why why can't you let the other men know your feelings in this case like i don't know i thought i thought they were friends (laughs) yeah
0: but then we basically get mr chapman trying to clear the air a little Mm -hmm. bit and and say not just about what happened with nicole but about what happened with captain kim yeah and basically says you know i think that friends should be able to call you out so like if you think that I handled that wrong or if you have something to say like say it like we'll talk about it mm-hmm.
1: yeah even if they disagree he wants to be able to have that conversation mm-hmm. which I think is is good especially the recognition that like you don't have to come to an agreement on things that's fine if you don't and then we get a little bit from Mr. Mumbray too mm-hmm. which is
0: really he was the star of this episode exactly
1: i i feel like i had already really liked him just thought he was sweet but he's he's now my favorite mr mumbray has his perspective on this which is he says that he believes that lincoln and nicole have a deep connection but the other thing he emphasizes which i like want to applaud him for is that if she wants to be intimate with someone that's got to be accepted like that is her choice and that is something that the rest of them like don't get a say in that's fine
0: it's the bare minimum but still props to the various guys and there have been a couple now Mm -hmm. who basically are like it's her choice, it's her process, she is in control of her life, and she can do what she needs to do, and like, we might feel some way about it, but we don't get to make those decisions. Exactly. And I mean, I do
1: think that, like, that still felt like part of even Captain Kim's thought process, was like, she gets to make that decision, he just couldn't deal with it. And so all the men say also that it didn't seem like Captain Kim had bad intentions. Right. Which, It's interesting that this conversation felt like it resolved itself so easily that the producers
0: probably were like, God damn it, drama, where's the drama? They are all they too nice to each other. Put their fingers together, sort of Mr. Burns style, and were like, don't worry, we will bring the drama. Exactly. I, just, I will say, <laughs> the hand of the producers was most evident in this episode. Exactly. Compared to any other.
1: Yep, it felt like not only could you see the hand of the producers in introducing a new person, but it felt like they were he was so puppeting obvious. him. Yeah, he was like so obviously a producer plant and yeah. just doing whatever they wanted
0: so <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that the other thing that happens in this conversation is Mr. Bokikio basically doing what he always does whenever anyone else is like having feelings or like talking about kissing or being with Nicole which is basically saying I don't want to hear about it <laughs> grumble 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 I'm upset that's my Mr. Bokikio impression uh-huh. And then we get the Daily Tea. And
1: the Daily Tea basically tells us that because the weather is not great, they say something about the clouds and intrigue having rolled in from the hills. They're turning to indoor activities. A masquerade ball. But who will be unmasked? Yeah, Dun, dun, dun. So
0: Mr. Cone says, this ball sounds sexy. And, and Mr. Mr. Hunter? I thought it was oh. Mr. Hunter. Oh, no, it's Holland. I oh, think. Oh, says, sounds kind of kinky.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and basically they're all thinking sexy, which kind of goes into that idea of, like, well, what do we think of masquerades are now? Mm-hmm. But even Nicole is like, ooh, this sounds like it'll potentially be sexy also.
0: But then they sort of question, like, okay, what is this? Who will be unmasked? Exactly. Blind
1: And most of them seem to be taking this extremely literally, which, as we find out, is the correct interpretation. Yes. But Nicole does say, like, oh, maybe it'll be something about one of the men revealing their true selves. Yeah. Um, like, we'll find out something about their real character
0: which i wish it had been i wish so good this
1: would have been a more interesting producer machination is if there were like some secret about one of the men
0: like in walks Danny B's pregnant girlfriend or something. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Not All just standard right. <laughs> Danny B. Yeah, no. Or that... <laughs> his non-existent pregnant girlfriend as far as I know.
1: Yeah, no, or just like maybe they bring someone back. Maybe they they would have brought back Captain Kim to stir up more drama mm-hmm. or something. Who knows? But I think that would have been a more interesting way to handle this without bringing in yet another person. Yeah. Who it may be beautiful, but neither Molly nor I like yes (laughs)
0: mr edwards gives his explanation of what a masquerade is a place of intrigue and mystery where inhibitions could be cast aside so (laughs) as as we talk really i'm going to tell you not that much intrigue or mystery happens beyond it's, like, the guy showing up in a mask. Just, there are a like... couple dances. They all kind of
1: wander and mill about. It doesn't seem any different from any of the other balls that we have seen yeah. other than, you know, the elimination. The
0: Bacchanal was much more exciting.
1: Exactly. If for no other reason than that the men learned a new word that yes. they got to shout repeatedly while very drunk
0: <laughs> but i will say miss remy and mrs baker and miss cleary have an amazing entrance to ariana grande's dangerous woman which is a song i personally love but yes they, they walk in it's slow motion we hear ariana grande's dangerous woman playing miss remy's at the front in this like voluminous ball gown off the shoulder it's sort of like white and gold she looks amazing
1: designers must have just had so much fun i
0: just keep she has a crown
1: yeah and one of the masks that you hold up kind of on a stick so she doesn't actually have to have the mask on the whole time
0: yes and then behind her are miss cleary and mrs baker and we cut to all of the guys reacting and it's a lot of... Jaws dropping. Yeah, or like sort of silly smiles. Like basically everyone's like... Slowly turning to stare at her. She looks amazing. Mr. Chapman says she's an actual Cinderella. So yeah, she looks great. And then basically the dancing begins.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, like not a ton happens. Like she has some conversations. She dances with Mr. Holland this whole episode they're like playing up the fact that he has not yet been on the dance card so of course you know he's gonna be on the dance card later but he keeps telling her about how special she is to him and how he like wants to make her feel seen and it's sweet it's sweet i need him to say something
0: else Yeah, he just keeps saying the same thing. Like, I'm serious, you're special. I look at you and I say, yeah, that could be my woman. Like, whatever. And I'm like, that's all great. Like, I'm so glad you're serious and you can articulate that. But I do want them to, like, kind of go back to where they were on their date, where they talked about things about their lives and they, like, did some fun, cute dancing together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we do see,
1: like, other men get more of that this episode. And I feel like that's really what they need in order to kind of drive the relationship forward. But it seems to me like when there is so little time, like if they're just talking for the duration of a dance, it's Mm -hmm. hard to be like, I'm going to tell you something serious. Or like, let's talk about life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe that's part of it. It's just he has not gotten very many opportunities to have a lot of time, Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of hard to say anything other than platitudes.
0: We get Nicole and Mr. Chapman dancing. They are... Tired Pardon my friend straight up I fucking Yeah, they just talk a lot
1: about chemistry. Obviously, they have it. I still want to know, like, what else they have aside from chemistry.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I, I still am feeling it a little bit more, but I think with almost everyone, I would like them to just have more conversations. About, yeah. And I get, like, that doesn't necessarily happen until you get down to the last few, mm-hmm. but I just think they're really... They show a lot when they're able to have those kinds of conversation. Mr. Chapman does say, I'm crazy about you, Nicole. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cute when he says it. Yeah, Um, she looks so pleased. I will say, like, I don't in any way doubt their chemistry or doubt that they have this really real connection. Mm -hmm. It doesn't ever feel like a platitude. It just is like, can it be more? Exactly. Less clear. Then she dances
1: with Danny B, and here she requests that he make amends with her brother. And he kind of, like, laughs and says maybe, and... She she, also laughs? Yeah, she also laughs. Like, she seems to take it as a joke. And, I mean, he does later go and talk to her brother, but I still, like... Like every time he does something like that, I'm like, uh, I just think,
0: I think the thing about him is he really struggles to be sincere. Mm. We sort of have on one hand, we have somebody like Mr. Holland who will say these very serious, sincere things, but maybe says them so much that we're sort of like, okay, like what else? What else? I think with Mr. Pekihio, he just really struggles to be sincere. And so he just kind of laughs at everything or like makes a little joke or has a little smirk. Again, I believe that he likes Nicole. I really do. But the problem she keeps running into with him is, like, he won't, he won't open up, he won't be vulnerable. And, and it's really hard when, like, the only other
1: thing that we get from him, aside from this teasy, jokey, flirty side, is him just being annoyed anytime anyone else gets, like, is the jealous side. Like, jealousy or easy jokey flirty right. and we don't know anything deep and concrete and promising mm-hmm. about him mm-hmm. and
0: I mean, then of course all the things we know about him from the internet sleuthing that has been done do oh not seem promising yeah i think that's a really good point because i think with some of the other guys who maybe we don't get to see them that way with nicole ever or at least very often mm-hmm. we see them with the other guys being sincere and and genuinely having these kind of interesting conversations or whatever i think like mr hunter is a great example where Mm -hmm. i feel like i just like love seeing him interacting with the other guys cones of course and but those are the guys who aren't getting much time with nicole exactly but we still like as viewers i think Mm -hmm. we are able to care about them more than we Mm -hmm. do mr bochicchio because we are able to see the good sides of their personality Mm -hmm. in a way that we just don't so much with Mr. Bokikio. But I think
1: the fact that we don't get to see them as much with Nicole means that we may care about them, but like do we care about them plus Nicole? Yes.
0: Well, I think it it will depend on if we, again, every, okay. I'm not gonna like... Stand Mr. Cones anymore. I'm like, I'll be real, I think he needs to fucking step it up and make a move if he's gonna do anything. Because, yeah, he's like, kind of
1: coasting right now. Yeah,
0: he's coasting. But I will say every time they are together, I enjoy them very much.
1: But. Yeah. So next we do get this knock on the door and a mysterious new suitor enters with a cape on. Yes. He of course has a mask on. Everyone's jaws just drop, but they remove his cape and he does remove his mask and he says bonsoir mademoiselle and she just has the most relatable reaction here as he removes his mask because he's gorgeous and she, her jaw kind of drops a little bit and she just goes oh god <laughs> like in this kind of like well fuck he's
0: hot <laughs> kind yeah <of> <laughs> um i don't know i feel bad i don't really see it like i think he's cute <laughs> He's definitely cute. I don't know. I just, he he does not top the list for me. Or That's like, okay. Even the top. I mean,
1: like, it's funny because mm. I feel like we have very different types. Yeah. And he, for me, I'm like, oh my God, he's so attractive.
0: Like, he's gorgeous. Well, the internet would agree with you because people yeah. were like tweeting, oh my God, he is straight up a Disney prince. Yeah. So. No,
1: he actually does look like the prince from Princess and the Frog.
0: Who the, I do think is hot.
1: Yeah. The problem is that his personality fucking sucks <laughs> so uh, but we
0: don't know that yet we don't know yeah, that we don't yet. know that yet at this point he's just this man who turned up is attractive everyone finds him very attractive obviously um, nicole finds him extremely attractive Mrs. she
1: spends the entire time just it kind of seems like she's just entranced by how funny yes. he is yes which I found very relatable, but it's also really funny to see someone who's as gorgeous as her Uh be like, oh my god, hot person is into me.
0: (laughs) I thought Mrs. Baker had the funniest reactions throughout all of this, because she's just constantly, like, in the background, like, going like, oh my god, and like, what the? Like, I actually really like Mr.
1: this reaction because one. he just has, like, some giant eye roll moments that are just so, so funny.
0: I think he said, of course the heavens had to open up and send a beautiful British French dude. <laughs>
1: yeah, and so the entire, what we get about this guy is he's French. But is he? He's also British. Like, it seems like his family His family's is from, French, but yeah. he went
0: to a French school in the UK. Which,
1: from what I get, means he's very rich. He, like, went to French boarding school
0: in the UK. Yes. And based on everything else we see, uh, I'm pretty sure he's very rich. Yeah. And, like, I felt like I think many of these guys are, like, poor, but this guy showed up. It was giving me Doctor Hatem vibes in terms oh, of you're like, oh yeah. yeah, he's got money. Except at least Doctor Hatem had a job, as far as I could tell.
1: <laughs> and this guy's a socialite, yes. right? Is that what you were after,
0: what, Molly? That's what. One time when they show him his job title, at oh, least Chiron say yes, that he's a socialite. Said socialite. At oh another God. point, he talks about work,
1: but doesn't explain what that work is. So from what I can tell, from having looked him up on Instagram, mm-hmm. he's a model. Okay. So socialite and model okay
0: but we are we're definitely getting ahead of things so basically yeah he arrives he's beautiful and he's french slash english
1: tells us that he is a hopeless romantic and that he appreciates how the french do things with a touch of spice Mm -hmm. he also tells us that he likes to make a big scene and so he's going to be doing that Uh uh-huh and we see him continuously doing that in very
0: produced ways yes Throughout this entire scene, we have the rest of the guys sort of reacting to mm-hmm. him in various ways. I also once again enjoyed Mr. Hunter's commentary of, uh, "Oh, you know, at least he's not good looking. Fuck,
1: he's good looking." <laughs> and it's interesting to me that like the men automatically have this reaction where they immediately see him as a villain. Like Mr. Hunter also says something yeah. about him being a like masked a masked villain. villain. Yeah. And it doesn't just seem to be like that these new this new person showed up there's like something about him that is rubbing them the wrong way and we also get a little bit of this when he starts saying in his introduction in the moment kind of thing that the boys get annoyed because their girlfriends end up liking me and then he says like like I always tell them that's not my problem that seems like a you problem (laughs) and as we later get from Mr. Mumbrae. He has a history of stealing people's girlfriends. Mm -hmm. So we're already getting that this guy is trouble. He is here to cause some drama. He repeatedly, anytime he gets introduced to people, says like, oh, there might be drama
0: there. As they're dancing, Mr. Oh, did we say his name? His name is Miles Nazaire. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Nazaire, or Monsieur Nazaire. Monsieur Nazaire. (laughs) Uh, You can say it much better than me. And Nicole are dancing, and they're staring into each other's eyes. She can't stop giggling because she's like, the boys are going to hate
1: you.
0: (laughs) And then they kiss.
1: and uh he has this like super smooth line and this becomes a theme throughout that he has these like kind of like smooth lines that are like too smooth prepared almost but he just seems to have like the perfect thing to say every time and he says if you keep looking into my eyes like that we may kiss Mm -hmm. and then she's obviously it's like an invitation right
0: so meanwhile as this is going on mr pakikio takes this opportunity to talk to dom about his feelings for nicole he doesn't really talk about the dinner interruption thing mm-hmm. yeah he doesn't exactly apologize but he definitely doesn't of,
1: apologize yeah his way of making amends is just to be like dude i actually am into your sister
0: and dom says that he appreciates that his biggest concern was you know guys not being able to show vulnerability and not being able to like be serious so mm-hmm. he appreciates mr Pikiki doing that and then as they're sort of talking Nicole brings over Mr. Nazaire and introduces him to Dom and Mr. Bakikio. And this is so awkward. Yeah, so first it's really hot, I'll be honest, because then Dom and, and this... I just want to call him the new guy. And Mr. Nazaire speak French to mm-hmm. each other. Oh, so... Very charming.
1: Yes, charming. The other thing that I think is a little bit interesting that we're getting to see a little bit about through Dom is... We already know that her family has Haitian Mm -hmm. background. Dom speaks French. Haiti was a former French colony, Mm -hmm. and something that I learned recently, which I just absolutely love, is that Dom apparently named his son Toussaint. I'm assuming after Toussaint L'Overture, who was the leader of the Haitian Revolution, and who overthrew the French presence in Haiti and freed all of the enslaved people. He himself was formerly enslaved. And so like, I just love that he like named his child after that's great Haitian revolutionary. That's so great.
0: (laughs) Uh, my claim to fame is that Dom liked and replied to one of my tweets that was making fun of Mr. Nazaire. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to Molly. <laughs> so that that's all nice and easy, and then the introduction between uh, Mr. Bukikio and Mr. Nazaire is much more awkward. Mr. Bikikio is being very cold and standoffish. Yeah, he's, like, trying to play it cool and be like, oh, it doesn't bother me, but it's obvious how much it bothers him. It does, but I also am, like, I get it. I do feel really bad for all these guys at this I point because too. they're just, like, we thought, you know, we're all friends or, like, friendly at least. Mm-hmm. We thought we were down to seven and then this guy just turns up. And... Yeah,
1: and they keep having new people come in and it seems like Mr. Judge has been, like, embraced, taken mm-hmm. into the fold, which says something about him, right? Like, mm-hmm he seems like a nice guy, but as I think Mr. Hunter says, every time, like, someone new comes in, they get less time with her. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, Danny B is annoyed. In this case, it's understandable, but he's still being, like, kind of a dick. Um, I think it's just like,
0: I'm like, ah, for once, he's being a dick in a situation that I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: it's awkward because then Ms. Fermi like, well, this is your new roommate! <laughs>
0: And then we cut over to Mr. Cones, Mr. Mumbray, and Mr. Holland, and they're talking a bit. And Charlie says that he knows Mr. Nazaire, and that, as Emma said earlier, he has a habit of stealing other people's girlfriends.
1: So we have introductions to this group as well. Mr. Cones is like, Welcome, there's only one toilet. And (laughs) Miss Remy goes, Why don't we make our guest comfortable, all right? And so Cones is like, kind of pats him on the shoulder and is like, Welcome. There's
0: only one toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Love him. I also like the confirmation of our hypothesis that they are all sleeping in one room, basically on bunk beds. Yep. I didn't think they'd all have to share one bathroom, so that's great. <laughs> oh, God. But
1: I'm sure it's like an old house. They probably only. I'm sure they open the for, smallest yeah, part of exactly. it. Yeah. The other thing that Mr. Cones does is kind of puts Mr. Mumbray and uh, Monsieur Nasser on the spot and says, like, do you do know each other, and they confirm that they do in fact know each other a little bit, and it's super awkward because they very obviously don't like each other. Uh huh. And Monsieur Nocera is like, "Well, this will be fun," and it's just it's obviously not gonna be fun. And
0: just Nicole's like, "Oh, okay, so this is like a happy reunion. Like that's fun that you know each other." And then also Mr. Mumbry like, "Very fun," and I think Monsieur Nocera is like. I'll try and be
1: nice, or something like that, which he does not do, but uh, Mr. Mumbray, poor guy, is like, I was the English guy, and now I'm not the English guy anymore. (laughs) And you can just tell from his tone that he's kind of freaking out, and he puts it in a very understated British way by saying that it has ruffled my feathers. (laughs) (laughs) So then she goes to continue introductions, and we see Mr. Hunter, Mr. Chapman, and Mr. Judge, and all together i think mr chapman says all right on the count of three we're gonna turn our backs on them and they do and mr remy's face just like she looks so shocked
0: i'm just like i was like oh my god they just gave him the cut like <laughs> yeah, they gave him the cut direct <laughs> um, i was like how do they even know that's a thing uh, but then they
1: turn back around and they're like no no yeah, we we're just like, kidding just kidding <laughs> but then they do kind of continue being a bit hostile by mr hunter basically right off the bat like this guy has been there for five minutes and Mr. Hunter just immediately is like so we were just talking about how we would marry Miss Remy and we would propose if we fell head over
0: heels in love uh, how mean, about you meanwhile Mr. Pekiki has like slid up on the side like he just kind of like snuck in mm-hmm. so he's standing there as well so Mr. Hunter's like yeah how do, how do you feel about that the idea of proposing like mm-hmm. you know And Monsieur Nazaire kind of turns it
1: back on them and says, oh, all of you would be okay with that? And they all nod, and obviously- Including Danny B. Including Danny B, and obviously this is the thing that Miss Remy notices, where she actually gets very excited about this, but we do see her in the moment, she says, she's super excited about Danny B saying that he might actually be ready to propose, because before, you know, that was a big deal, that he was not. But she's still skeptical, wondering if he actually feels that way or if he's feeling pressured to conform to these expectations meanwhile danny b is posturing again we get
0: a danny b in the moment where he's like i can speak french too get the Uh, fuck out of (laughs) here i laughed um i I enjoyed danny b more in this episode than
1: i did in any other i think it's because we have a new villain now yes and so In comparison, Danny B is maybe not so bad.
0: Somehow, oh, he's the the villain I know. You know, he's he's the he's the devil I know.
1: So, so the the ball ends, and as we had Mr. mumbrae's ruffled feathers, he's trying to kind of soothe his ruffled feathers in the next scene by baking a cake.
0: Yes, so we are now watching the Great British Bake Off. (laughs) <laughs> and, and yeah he he decides to bake a cake he's outside outside in the sunshine with
1: a full baking setup I yeah guess. so like other than the tent this really is the great bitters bake-off
0: he says that he loves to bake he's a huge baker he's done it a lot and that he actually was a chef for three years in france yeah i was very surprised by Me this. too. i'm like damn charlie like he really uh I've always liked him, but he, like, really rose in the rankings for me in terms of both me liking him and me being like, that is husband
1: material. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he said he's actually, like, been baking since childhood, and it seems to be, like, how he kind of expresses affection, which... I can relate to. I stress bake and then I like bake things for people when I think it will make them feel better. Mm-hmm. So he's he's baking and meanwhile the men are talking about the dance card and kind of introducing Monsieur Nasser to the idea of the dance card and the fact that only Holland has not been on the dance card. Yes, the, <laughs> he's real competition. <laughs> everyone
0: has to experience it at least once except Jakon.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. But then Mr. Mumbrae shows up with his adorable little loaf cake. They're like, ooh. Yeah, they all seem to think it's for them. And he's like, nah, this is not for you guys. And he tells them that he's going to take it to Miss Remy. And you can just see Monsionis Nazaire like plotting.
0: As Charlie leaves with the cake, we also see the guys sort of saying like, okay, you know, we need to step it up, step it up. We need to start playing to our strengths. And (laughs) Mr. Cones asks what Monsieur Nazaire's strengths are. And he says, I'm pretty good at everything, really. And this is, like, where it just really felt
1: like the producers were like, all right, so we need you... To be a dick. Yeah. We just need you to be a villain. Yeah. And rub all the guys the wrong way in the most obvious way possible. Like he can't actually be this comedically terrible, can he? Like, are people actually that bad? I don't (laughs) know. So annoying. I
0: don't know. Um. So yeah, obviously this rubs the the other guys the wrong way. Mr. Hunter in 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 the moment sort of says like, oh, he's he's really cocky, he's really arrogant, Mm -hmm. and then in person is is. They're good at being friendly in person cordial. or, like, cordial. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's not that they're, like, fake. I don't... Because I actually think it's just good manners to generally mm-hmm. just be polite to somebody. Yeah. Even if they're kind of annoying, unless you have a real good reason not to. So, they're giving him a... Not the worst time. They could be... Yeah, they
1: could be, like, being really awful to him, but they're not. They're at least not making things terrible for him, which he does not exactly return the favor.
0: No. We get a, in the moment with him, saying he wants more time with Miss Remy, and he's got a great idea, and he thinks he can do better than a little cake. Which is funny,
1: because then he brings them a cake. It is a big cake. It is a big cake, but he brings them a cake. So, the court is at tea... They're all talking about Monsieur Nasser and how he made the men step up. That's something Miss Remy says she did appreciate about him. Is yes. that he kind of made all the men feel like, oh, they, they can't just rest on their laurels. There's a knock at the door miss remy seems to think it's more bad news she goes oh no but then as soon as mr mumbray comes in everyone just lights up yeah it's clear that he's a real favorite just in terms of his personality miss yes. baker is so excited she's like clapping and she's like charlie this is so cute and actually on instagram he has since said that he's gonna like post the lemon drizzle recipe and that he and miss baker are gonna make it together oh. which i love i just yes. like I love that, like, they're all friends.
0: <laughs> I had seen him saying he was going to post the recipe, so I am here for that because I fucking love a lemon cake. Oh, so good. It's perfect for all weathers because,
1: you know, lemon is kind of spring summery. Mm-hmm. Lemonade, you know. But then it's also so good to, like, just brighten up a cloudy day or, like, a moment in the middle of winter. One of my favorites is I'll do a lemon pound cake that I'll infuse with Earl Grey. Yeah. So, oh my god. But, uh, um, Charlie, can you uh, do that? <laughs> anyway, we all agree that... Lemon's amazing. Lemon is amazing. And Charlie's cake looks so good. Nicole says that Charlie's really like the perfect guy. And she, she asks, how has he not been in love? Yeah. My theory still stands that like part of why he's so against... Monsieur Nazaire is that there is some actual like personal drama there between them that he stole his girlfriend that he stole his girlfriend but that Charlie's like too polite to actually bring that accusation up that's my theory I don't know but he yeah. gives them the cake, they're all so pleased, um, and he tells them that it's his special cake that he, like, makes for family occasions, he tells them about his family and about how they have dinners together, and Dom says that he's really glad that Charlie got to show them a little bit more about himself, and I am too, because he has always seemed so sweet, but it really felt like he shown this episode. Yes, yes. Dom also asks him what else he would do to make Nicole happy and he says Prince Charming that he is that he would cook dinner every night. Dream man. I would dream as someone who really enjoys cooking dinner I would enjoy cooking dinner with Charlie Mm.
0: (laughs) if you're listening. (laughs) So Uh. Charlie sort of continues to talk about his feelings for Nicole and saying you know every time I see you I smile and I just like get this feeling mm-hmm. and and he says I'm, I'm trying to be real without being too cringy which yeah. I'm like that is that is a real thing mm-hmm. but you know I, it's the first time we've seen him kind of open up in that way beyond just like oh I, I like you and mm-hmm. like I, I don't know what love feels like but I would like to find out or that's yeah. like, but it was really him sort of saying like no I like do have feelings mm-hmm. for you.
1: Part of me wonder of maybe this is also the other reason that he has not had very many serious relationships or any serious relationships is just because he feels perhaps or like doubts his own communication Mm -hmm. and maybe is like a more private person and so maybe people think that he is not as interested in them or not as serious because he is more interior you know that's just another idea we're just i'm just theorizing about like how this adorable man who bakes cakes has not i
0: mean he's pretty young still too though that's like 24 i mean oh my
1: gosh he's such a baby right like 24
0: 25 like i think he was the youngest um so it's not (laughs) crazy to have not had like a super serious relationship by then yeah that's true as this lovely moment is happening here comes Mr. Nazaire. With... Molly just, like, ugh, <laughs> her face. <laughs> okay, this was the moment that, like, made me genuinely be, like, no, I don't like him, he's not gonna win me over in any yeah. way. Because it was just such a dick move. And it, it was, was also a move that only could have been enabled by producers. Exactly.
1: It was very obviously, like, a produced move. And I'm sure that the producers also were, like, oh, yes, Charlie wants to bake a cake. Perfect. <laughs> yes. The other thing is I don't know how much the rest of the court and even Nicole are like buying into this because as Charlie said anyone can buy a cake yeah but baking a cake shows real love
0: yes he shows up he has flowers he has a tiered cake he has a sword that he gives to Dom (laughs) and he says there's a casket of wine for mrs baker oh and some tea for tessa and tea for tessa yes
1: they're like oh we went from a a nice loaf to a a tiered cake okay charlie's like we're all gonna get diabetes (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) oh this poor guy yes public service announcement that's not how diabetes works But
1: yeah, that's not how diabetes works. I
0: just say because some people really do think that is how it works, but it's not. But he also looks dead inside. I felt so bad (sighs) for him. I want him to know
1: that he has has been seen. At the very least, Miss Baker is on Team Charlie.
0: Yeah. So
1: he brings all of these things in and Nicole says that he's sweeping her off her feet just as she was starting to get to know Charlie, which seems to signal that she's here for it but at the same time like I don't know I don't want her to be into this my note here is that's called love bombing (laughs) he says that he's there to take her on a real date so she she leaves with him and Charlie goes I'm gonna have another slice of cake which is relatable
0: yeah I would too looked good so this date which again I just keep saying like only could have happened with producer Mm -hmm. help yeah Um, very obviously like the producer's probably set up the date and we're like hey this is the date you're gonna ask yes exactly Mm -hmm. well they say they're gin they're making gin they're not making gin they're they're infusing infusing
1: gin (laughs) with flowers from Uh, the garden i guess
0: yes which sounds fun fine and whatever i do think it is funny tanqueray is that how you say it mm-hmm. i don't know it has like a partnership with bridgerton oh um, interesting and was using joe jonas to <laughs> oh my promote he their... does kind of look
1: like a bridgerton brother that
0: that was the premise of the thing but anyway to promote this gin they're saying oh it's tea time tanqueray but it's very funny because in reality gin was seen as like oh yeah the drink of the like poor it was like Mm -hmm. the scourge
1: of yeah people are constantly trying to shut down gin houses there's an entire temperance movement Mm -hmm. and gin because it has roots in folk medicine and folklore and folk remedies is kind of vilified for its not only like humble origins Mm -hmm. in terms of class but also because it's associated with this british past of paganism and so yeah gin was not the nice british thing that we see it as now it's not like an upper crust kind of thing no
0: in the elizabeth hoyt maiden lane romance novel series which is absolutely bonkers like start to finish um but writing that down on my list (laughs) so good it's so weird but a lot of it takes place in this very poor neighborhood and one of the big problems in the neighborhood is that there's gin manufacturing happening Mm -hmm. and there are all these gin houses and you know people are spending all their money there and it's sort of i mean it's it's your classic yeah you know and and it's interesting because one of the one of the heroes (laughs) one of the heroes makes gin Mm -hmm. um he's sort of the bad boy hero and then another hero of a later book hates gin because he's basically (laughs) batman and somebody who's (laughs) drunk on gin killed his parents in front of him oh
1: my god does he dress up as a bat no but i will tell you
0: part of why this series is so bonkers is because there are three no four novels where various characters play a masked vigilante. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, one of which is my absolute favorite and it's called Thief of Shadows and I recommend it highly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, so basically the other reason that this is obviously a produced date is because Monsieur Nazaire asks her, oh, what's your favorite drink? And she says a French 75, which he's French, but also... That is gin, lemon juice, simple syrup, and champagne. So obviously they're going to infuse some gin. I'm sure that the producers knew this and were like, let's... Go with gin. So they're infusing gin and talking, and it seems like a very fancy, sophisticated date. It's kind of playing into his image as this sophisticated guy. Mm-hmm. Um, she does note that he's kind of a silver spoon high society type.
0: Yeah, but which... she says this as a compliment. Yeah, and perfect prince type. Not typically
1: what I would Um, (laughs) do. So we find out
0: that his, he says his father was chef of the house. I assume that just means his father did the cooking. Yes. And taught him how to cook, and he loves to cook. He
1: doesn't seem to cook very much No,
0: and and she says that the mess is what deters her from cooking, Mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, well we've got lots of butlers around here to solve the problem. And I'm like, I know you're joking, but I also think you aren't. Exactly, and she's like,
1: well, I don't have butlers, but okay. Uh.
0: And then they do sit down and
1: kind of lounge a bit in the sunshine and she asks what love is to him and this is another place where it feels like he just has all these like prepared perfect things to say i didn't think this was perfect i thought this was weird as hell yeah no but it felt like it was playing into the idea of what he thinks she wants you know yeah i guess that's that's, that's what that's, i mean that's that's
0: fair, but still, I don't know. It was
1: kind of weird. I found it
0: confusing. So basically he says he had a partner that he prioritized and like put first in everything Mm -hmm. and was putting over his family. And eventually he realized he was very unhappy and so even though he loved his partner like he had to break up with them. And I'm just like, couldn't you have just figured out your priorities differently? Yeah, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. like,
1: couldn't you have just talked to your partner and, like... Yeah. Yeah. I like, was your partner demanding
0: that you put... Like, I just... Yeah. It was, I get it. Like, we couldn't get the whole story or whatever. Mm-hmm. But to me, it just seemed like... I'm like, can you not handle two priorities at once? I know. Well, so to <laughs> me, this felt
1: like he was trying to emphasize how much family comes first. Because yes. he then says something about, like, oh, I can tell that you're a real family girl. And, like... It's great that we have that in common. And so it really felt like with that, along with his whole, like, I love to cook, even though I don't actually do it anymore Mm -hmm. thing, like, he was just trying to say the right thing or, like, the thing that he... He knows a mm-hmm. few things about her, and one of them is that her family is really important to her, so he's going to, like, give this weird story about how he always prioritizes family above all else, even yes. love.
0: And she asks about his family. They are in the south of France, opposite Saint-Tropez. near um,
1: Nice and cons. Yes.
0: And she asks <laughs> if he visits very often, and he says, oh, it's hard with work, which I guess we now know is modeling and not just a socialite. Mm-hmm. But he FaceTimes his mom five times a day that's
1: a lot of times a day
0: horrifying i'm sorry
1: (laughs) i don't think he actually facetimes his mom five times a day but hey at least we know that he was able to leave home and that his grandfather did not build another story onto the villa in order to keep him
0: there not all rich people are the same molly (laughs) <laughs> oh, a point. So then we basically get in, an interview with Nicole where she says Mr. Nazaire is bringing a level of sophistication and chivalry that I wish some of the other guys had. He's got a lot of confidence and bravado, and I'm just like Nicole. He just just has money. Yeah, he just has money. He's just rich, I promise. Yeah. And then we also get sort of a scene of the suitors all hanging out. First, Charlie has come back and is kind of reporting back to them about Mm -hmm. what Mr. Nazare did. And this is a really interesting conversation because they're basically realizing that... He's not going to, I think Mr. Judge even says, he's not going to try to establish a relationship with the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And the question is not whether we're going to be friends because we aren't, but, like, whether he's willing to be respectful. Yeah. So, you know, like, I don't know if he said slander us, but, like, you know, basically, Mm -hmm. like, smear us in the process of sort of putting himself first. Mr. Paquicchio, perfectly in character, says, good, I don't need any new friends. (laughs) He's such a stereotype sometimes, a lot of the time. (laughs) And then we later see them, they're at a punching bag.
1: They're, they're taking out all their aggression against Monsieur Nazaire on this oh. punching bag, I guess.
0: Right. And he appears. I'm going to call him Miles. Miles appears having, I guess, finished up this date with Nicole. And again, they're in this sort of weird position. But mm-hmm. it's very clear he is the outsider. Yeah.
1: I thought we were going to go next to the elimination ball, but instead we have Miss Remy is delivered a letter from Danny B that asks her to meet him at the fountain. And we actually get one of the few positive interactions that we have seen between her and Danny
0: B. Yes. I think this is the first one since the first episode where I've been like, okay, I get it a little Mm -hmm. bit more.
1: Yeah, and the thing that for me I appreciated about this was that it actually showed
0: that he had heard her Mm -hmm. and she does say oh you listen to me you know like what I told you at the ball he's waiting at the fountain she shows up it's actually very cute he has this like huge smile Mm -hmm. and like they kind of like run into each other's arms and hug and then they basically
1: they just like spend some time sitting like next to the fountain talking about life yeah I think I
0: think Mr. Pakiki was like what happens when we go back to normal, you know, when we're not in this Mm -hmm. sort of
1: fantasy world anymore. And I really appreciated that we saw them have this conversation. Because you don't get that a lot from dating shows, and that's really important, right? And this is a place where, like, yeah, I get that Mr. Bokikyo has said he's not sure if he can get there in two months, and I totally understand that, especially within this, like, weird setting. But obviously, she wants commitment at Mm -hmm. the end of it. And I think here is where we get... A sense that part of the reason that he's not entirely sure that he can get there in two months is because that's not a lot of time to like figure out what your life looks yes. like outside of this yeah. and whether you can see yourself with someone whether your priorities align right
0: yeah they're talking about stuff like morning routines mm-hmm. and you know. she drinks
1: decaf coffee and i'm actually with him on this one like what the fuck and
0: they talk about her apartment back in seattle Mm -hmm. and she jokes that he'll get the guest room (laughs) (laughs) and we also find out he doesn't say this to her he says this in his interview but he says that in his previous relationship it actually seemed very good but it was that he was really ready to get very serious and she wasn't and it Mm -hmm. sounds like maybe even like he wanted Mm -hmm. kids And she didn't or wasn't ready to. But he does tell Nicole in that moment that, you know, my my mom really wants grandkids. Not, like, right away, but, you know, I do want kids. Two,
1: three, four. Yeah. (laughs) And And then he he goes, but, you know, like, we don't have to do that right away. I'm finally practicing for now. And this, for a second, just fully goes over her head. (laughs) And she's like, oh, oh, I get what you mean. And, like, they start, like, teasing each other. And she likes that he's Mm -hmm. flirty and Mm -hmm. silly and, like, that that's the side of him that makes her feel good and I feel like we haven't seen that in a while because right. it's been so much of his insecurity just making her anxious yes yeah, I'm glad that they got this moment where he was actually making her feel good, making her feel seen, and figuring out can they actually have potential, right? Yeah.
0: I think he does low-key ruin it. He says, meet me halfway again. Yeah. And she's like, I'm meeting you, I promise I'll always meet you halfway. And I'm just like, he's just so I insecure. Like, I also think he was trying to make it like a cute thing, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is like, this is our thing. thing. And I'm like, no, it's not actually very cute, because yeah. like she was already yeah, meeting exactly. you more than halfway, I mm-hmm. promise.
1: Yeah. And, you know, she says that she's glad that Danny B showed up and, like, listened to her, and that she feels that sense of reassurance. It's interesting to me that he also is like, yeah, this is, like, what I needed. I needed that reassurance. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, she was already giving you that reassurance. Like, why? I don't know how he didn't see that. Yeah. But I think what it is, maybe is that he takes her expressing interest in anyone else as such a negative that he is then dismissing all of the positives she's
0: giving him. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. This brings us to the farewell dance. And this one's weird. It's a weird one. I did, I predicted one person who was on the dance card.
1: Yeah, it was Um, pretty
0: obvious. To be honest, I i did not predict mr holland oh, even though i should have okay. because they were constantly talking about it but i was just like but he didn't yeah it was just like he didn't do anything mm-hmm. to like, i don't know
1: or in the dance card. right exactly
0: yeah. but what we get the first name we hear is mr nazaire and he is shocked
1: yeah he's like what have i done wrong did i say something wrong What yeah. like what do i need to do the other guys are into it <laughs> mm-hmm, they're so happy they're like oh my god please just send him home he's gonna be one and
0: done yeah here one day gone the next then we get mr holland and mr judge yeah and again mr holland i guess was sort of teed up because of this whole thing of how he'd never been in mm-hmm. the elimination dance though again i don't think he'd really done anything like he'd yeah. done his usual thing of assuring her that mm-hmm. but there were guys who'd done far less i'm sorry Mr. Cones and Mr. Hunter um for quite a while and I think haven't or at least we haven't
1: like seen them do much more. So Um, I think what it really was was that like he was the only one who hadn't been on the card and so they put the emphasis on him. Yes. But yeah, really like he and Mr. Hunter and Mr. Cones right now are kind of coasting.
0: Mr Judge was also surprised to me because they had such a good week last week. But again, I think He's a late addition. And I just think, in a way, this also was the most dramatic mm-hmm. <laughs> possibility, given how it sort of resolves. Mm-hmm. Because I think as viewers, we're really meant to be like, expecting Mr. someone Mr. Nazare's go. fucking going home. Although yeah. they really fake you out multiple times. Oh, yeah. So she dances first with Mr. Holland, and he tells her again, yeah. you're so special to me, I'm so serious about you, all this sort of stuff he's been saying all along and, and then we then, get a super dramatic fake out okay this like somber music <laughs> mm-hmm. starts playing and her face is all serious and she's like i know you believe that i could be the one and that you're very serious about me and i want to feel that way too i want to get there and i think i can <laughs> i was just like oh my fucking god why would you put him through that like <sighs> it, it's
1: 100 a like something you say when you're like about to send someone yes, home yes yes
0: so after Mr. Holland, it's Mr. Judge. They talk about having a strong connection. I think she's just like, oh, I'd like to feel that connection, you know, all the time. Whatever. Yeah, and
1: I think she said something about wanting to be able to see what life would be like with him outside of this. So I think she, last week, was kind of comparing Mr. Judge and Mr. Bokikio. And mm-hmm. so Mr. Bokikio stepped up and was like, hey, let's talk kind of logistics almost. Mm-hmm. And so now I think she wants to actually get that sense yeah. from Mr. Judge as well.
0: Mrs. Baker clearly likes Mr. Judge because she sort of leans over to Tessa and is like, he lights up when he talks to her, like when he Aww. looks at her. So she says, Mr. Judge, I'd, I'd like you to stay. So mm-hmm. Mr. Holland, Mr. Judge, both safe. And that so leaves Mr. He yeah. was there. And he tells her that he needs more time to show her what love really is. And I don't know, he has some, some line. and Yeah, and then he starts speaking in French. <laughs> yes, but before that we cut to... Who is it? It Who's was Danny B and Mr. Cones being like, dude, I need to get better at talking. <laughs> They're like, God, he's so fucking smooth. Oh the um, Smooth operator. And then yeah, he does this whole speech in French. And she asks. Which is translated for us.
1: Yeah, but she asks, like, what does that mean? And he's like, Well, you gotta keep me around to find out. <laughs>
0: it was it was a good speech. Like, again, if I didn't find him so annoying, I'm sure I'd be like, ooh. Swoon, mm-hmm. But I was just like, shut up. <laughs> get it. You're French and rich. <laughs> so she tells him, I I feel like I have seven strong connections already here. Mm-hmm. And I really don't want to like mess things up. Mess things up, yeah. Like with with those, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm neglecting those. I don't. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, okay, thank God. She's, mm-hmm. she's going home. And all, the, all the guys are like, oh, he's, he's gone. He's out of mm-hmm. here. And then she says, but maybe there's room for one more yeah so
1: she hasn't eliminated anyone we're in week seven they have already introduced three new guys we have not gotten anyone sent home this week and there are still eight people and they seem to be sending one person home each week like how, how, how long, long is this season? how long is the
0: bachelor or bachelorette season usually it's 10 weeks okay but like multiple episodes a, a week not until the very
1: end granted they are longer episodes and they do send more people home each week Mm -hmm. but at this point I'm just like at a rate of one person per
0: week this is gonna go on for a really long time I I feel like they've got to at least do a double elimination next week yeah exactly
1: Um. I mean she says you know like I don't feel like we got enough time yeah this week because of the interruptions of Mr. of Nazareth so like I'm really hoping that that's a signal that they're not going to bring another new person in yet again. Oh my God please please yeah. no more men please, stop <laughs> no um, more
0: men <laughs> but Sir Edwards notes. You've all survived the farewell dance, and this should go to show you that Miss Remy, and only Miss Remy, is in control here.
1: Except for the producers with uh, Monsieur
0: Nasser. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, maybe she's in control of who stays and who goes. Yeah. But she's definitely not in control of all the things that are happening. Uh. Um, I don't know. I feel like... This was maybe the first episode that I was, like, not excited to rewatch. Yeah. And I think that sucks because there were parts I really liked, but I just, I found the... Charlie. Producer fuckery. Charlie.
1: That's it. Yes, Charlie. Charlie and the Lemon Drizzle Cake. <sighs> sigh. Deep sigh. Deep sigh. So, that really wraps up this week's episode. We'll be interested to see, you know, what happens. If you have any ideas about who is heading home next you can let us know on twitter
0: yeah so we we now have a podcast twitter which is at truth's uni pod so it's truth's u-n-i-p-o-d the downside of having a long podcast name i realize is twitter handles are quite short <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you can tweet at us tweet at us or of course at our individual twitters i'm at i i'm at chingona academic as always, those are in the show notes. And if you enjoy
1: listening to us, please share this podcast with your friends. Leave us a rating and review, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's listened, who's rated, who's reviewed. It's really been awesome. Um, yeah. And we would love to hear more from you and... In- interact with you in any way so (laughs) feel free to reach out and to those of
1: you who you know have tweeted at us or commented on reddit or whatever like we really appreciate you so thank you
0: thank you and uh until next week toodaloo